You are listening to the Resonate Church Sermon Podcast. Resonate is a collegiate church planning network in the Northwest. If you'd like to learn more, please visit us at resonate.net. Hey, Resonate, it is good to be with you. Uh, my name is Josh, and I'm one of your pastors. Uh, and I know that this time has been difficult and has been different for us. This is week 13 of online church. Uh, But I want to say I'm proud of you. You keep showing up. God's going to keep showing up. Uh, I hear stories of you engaging uh, in profound ways out there. Uh, And I know there's some regions in our church now that can actually gather together. And you're in homes and you're worshiping. Uh, And the house church is how the gospel spread across the world. So uh, if you're operating in a house church right now, you're, you're living in a very first century kind of way. Uh, Well, whether you're with others or you're still in your parents' basement, however you got here, uh, we're glad you're here. If you have a Bible, would you grab it and turn to Philippians chapter 1? We'll be starting in verse 1. Last week, we started a sermon series called Defiant Joy, and we took our time looking at Acts chapter 16, uh, learning the backstory of the church at Philippi. So here's some of the things we learned about this church last week. Uh, First, Paul and Silas visited Philippi on their second missionary journey. Uh, The church in Philippi was started in A.D. 50 with Lydia and the slave girl and the jailer. And then Paul wrote Philippians from Roman house arrest. So he's basically in jail in house, and he writes this in A.D. 62, so 12 years later. Uh, Here's a couple of other things that are noteworthy about the church at Philippi that we know throughout history. Uh, In the second century, around A.D. 130, uh, a church leader named Polycarp wrote the Philippians a letter reminding them that some of the church had given their lives for the gospel. They'd been martyred, and he tells them to pray for your persecutors. So, so 90 years after this church starts, they have martyrs, and church leaders are writing to them saying, stay the course, pray for those who persecute you. Uh, fast forward another 60 years, you have a church leader named Tertullian who references the Philippian church as exemplary uh, for the churches in that region. So they may have started small, somewhere around 30 people, uh, but there's no evidence of a church building until the fourth century, so historians say it took about 250 years for them to get their first church building. Uh, So those of you who are pressuring Resonate to get a building, you need to calm down. We have biblical evidence that it's okay, and you can have impact that way. Uh, There's no famous Christian leader that comes out of the Church of Philippi that we know. No no early church historian uh, talks about a theologian from the Church of Philippi. Uh, This was just a regular church, but it gave Paul an immense amount of joy And they were a body of Christ living in maturity in ways that other churches didn't seem to have. And so a fun fact about the Philippian church is that this letter is the only one of Paul's letter where he does not correct them or rebuke them or redirect them in any way. Uh, The book of Philippians, he encourages them, he reaffirms them, but his tone is very different because they're operating as mature believers and he's calling them to more Maturity And some other letters, he's much more harsh in his tone to correct them, but that's not what you see in Philippians. So if you're ready, we're going to dive in. Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. It says this, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and the deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So Paul introduces this letter with some social greetings saying, hey, me and Timothy, 
say hello to everyone in Philippi. And then he addresses the, the overseers, that's the pastors and the elders and the deacons, uh, under the assumption that these leaders would widely circulate this letter and that these words would not just be seen as words from Paul, but they would ultimately be seen as words from God. But verse 6 is going to be our focus today, and it says this, Be confident that he who began a good work in you will carry it to the day of Christ Jesus. So here's the message. Philippian church, and through the Philippian church, resonate church. God has started something in you. You didn't start it in you. You didn't initiate it. You didn't make this thing happen. God did something in his grace towards you. A miracle happened in your chest, and God did that. And he plans to continue the work that was started there either until you die or until the day of Christ Jesus. And that's basically the biblical way of saying judgment day, the second coming of Christ. So he started something in you and he's continuing that thing until you die to go to be with him or he comes back to get you. So in between there, Paul says there's something to be confident in. What, what do we need to be confident in between the gift of the gospel and the gift of going to be with God eternally. Here's what we need to be confident in. God is carrying on a work in you. That's what the scripture is saying. There is a work being carried on in you from that day until that day. And so another way to say this maybe more practically is this. The first principle we get out of the scripture. We are a work in progress. We're a work in progress. Uh, God is not done with us yet. God is not done with you yet. Now, I know we're all over the place on this. Some of us may need to humble ourselves because we think we have arrived and we're incredible Christians and God got an all-star when we joined the team. And listen, that's not true. God is not done with you yet. And there's others of us that feel like we're struggling and we're not gaining any traction in our walk with Jesus and we need to be encouraged. God is not done with you yet. But every morning when we, we, when we wake up, there should be a sense of gratitude that we have another day to glorify God and a sense of humility that God still has work to do in us. So give yourself some grace. You're not there yet, but that's okay. God is not done. Uh, this is something we try to communicate all the time as a church. Uh, this is kind of the scripture that gives us the premise for phrases like this. It's okay to, be, to not be okay. It's okay not to be okay. But it's not okay to stay that way. Or maybe another phrase is, Jesus loves you just as you are. But he loves you so much he can't keep you there. He's got to move you forward. So he loves you too much not to change you, to confront you, to woo you towards transformation. That's a, that's a major thing we need to understand, that God is taking us somewhere. Uh, and listen, the Holy Spirit that dwells inside of you, the Holy Spirit's job is not to be your cheerleader. His job is to complete a work in you. And the work he is doing is not always easy. Because we all have weaknesses. We all have places where we need to grow. And we need to be honest about this. Some of us uh, allow other personality profile tests to tell us more about ourselves than we let the Bible tell us about ourselves. So uh, I know that if you like the Myers-Briggs, that, that's great, but the Myers-Briggs, what it says about you isn't the only thing about you. Uh, what your Enneagram number is is not the only thing about you. You may be those things, but you're also in process, and so you can't go through life saying, yeah, well, I'm just a three, and that's how threes act, or oh yeah, I'm just being an eight, or man, this is really my ENTP starting to come out. No, listen, uh, you're a sinner, who needs to grow and mature and change and recognize that God is not done yet. So wherever you are and wherever you're testing as, that's, that's great, that's, that's fine, but God's not done. He's moving you to another thing. And I think if we're honest, many of us, uh, we, have grown, we have grown far too comfortable with our weaknesses. 
far too comfortable with our hidden sin, and we have just resigned to believe that's just who I am. Well, not according to Philippians 1 verse 6. You, you, you're, you're growing, you're moving, and, and, and we can't just talk about these weaknesses and these sins as if they are who we are now. Uh, and worse than that, we can't just begin to modify our behavior around these things. I remember I was going to go on a mission trip before my senior year of high school, and I had my CDs all packed in the CD case. Uh, when I got to church, they were like, hey, you can't bring these CDs uh, on the trip. These are like secular CDs. And so I felt all this pressure. I'm like, oh, no, i got to break my CDs. So my friends go, and they talk me through, like, i got to throw them away. And so I'm standing there holding my CD case, and I'm like, man, like, does the Bible have anything to say about, like, not wasting money? Because I, like, bought all these, and I don't want to get rid of these. And they're like, no, your non-Christian CD's got to go. And so I'm like, well, what about the band Creed? Like, is Creed Christian enough? Can I keep Creed? Or like, what about Lifehouse? Like, they kind of have a song that sounds Jesus-y. Or what about Switchfoot? Like, are they cool? And I'm just making up all these rules, trying to keep these CDs while I'm feeling the pressure to modify my behavior. That's, that's not the picture that you see in Scripture. God's goal for you and God's goal for me is not external behavior modification. It's internal gospel transformation. His goal for us is inside-out change, not outside-in change. Listen, this is what Jesus talks about all the time. He, he told the religious leaders, the guys who made all the rules, he tells them, you guys clean the outside of your cup, but the inside of your cup is dirty. In another place, he tells them, you're very well-maintained and pretty on the outside, and it looks like there's this garden happening, but on the inside, you're a grave, and you're dead, and there's no life in your obedience, and there's no desire or love in your actions. Jesus is rough when he talks about this. He even raises the bar of the Ten Commandments, or shows us the real spirit of the Ten Commandments. When he says, you have heard, do not murder, that would be an outside behavior. I tell you, don't have hate in your heart, that would be an inside heart posture. Or you've heard it said, don't commit adultery, that would be outside. I say don't lust, that would be inside. So listen, following Jesus is not just the rules and not, not just a list of don'ts. It's not don't cuss, don't spit, don't dance, don't listen to this, do listen to this. Whatever legalistic thing you want to add to the list, that's not it. The Holy Spirit is trying to get you to want to do what you ought to do. The Holy Spirit is trying to get you to want to do what you ought to do. And that's the good work that's continuing in you. A change of desires, a change of loves, and that takes time and that takes honesty. So some questions we can ask ourselves really openly. What weaknesses am I hiding by modifying my behavior? Where is God trying to continue the work in you? And maybe you're not allowing him to do that. Now, these are helpful questions to ask yourself. This is a helpful way for you to process. But listen, that's, all, that's not all the verse is saying. Let's look at it again. Verse 6. Be confident of this that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So listen, I, I want to be careful right here. This, this, is not, this is not the Bible giving you a cute phrase to live by that says, you're a work in progress, and Resonate doesn't need to print a bunch of t-shirts that say, under construction, while we walk around saying, yeah, we're not perfect, we get it. Um, I, I, I hate to quote C.S. Lewis two times in a row, two weeks in a row with the same exact quote, but I'm going to do it. Um, there's a deeper magic going on in this passage. What Paul is telling the Philippian church is he's telling them something about the nature of the gospel. He's saying to them, the gospel doesn't just justify you, beginning of salvation, it also sanctifies you, the process of salvation, 
and it eventually will glorify you ultimately in heaven one day. So what started in you, justification, is currently at work in you, sanctification, and it will go on forever, glorification. So there's this, there's this picture here where you have salvation, the process of transformation, which ultimately ends in glorification. So in every place, and this is what the scripture is teaching, in every place you and I need to be transformed we must look again at what started in us in order for us to move forward. So listen, the gospel message is not Christianity 101, and then you move to 201 or 301. No, there's one message, and this message can never be exhausted. It's a well that never runs dry. And 12 years ago, Paul preached this message to the church, and they, they planted a church because of this message, and he goes back to it right away in his first letter. He's saying something to them. That what the gospel did is still what the gospel's doing. It's still doing something. So go back to it again. Another way to say verse 6 is this. The gospel is the beginning, the middle, and the end of Christianity. It's the beginning, it's the middle, and it's the end. So you go, what what does that mean practically? Like how does that actually work out in my life? Well, here's what it means practically. When God saved you, you got a new heart gifted to you. That's the beginning of the good work. A new heart. You're called new creation. But let's be honest, that new heart didn't come with new desires built in. It didn't immediately change everything about us. So you start to recognize, yes, you have a new heart. Yes, you follow Jesus. But, but as you're going through life, you start to realize you're not a very generous person. Like you may modify your behavior and give every now and then when certain people can see, but in your heart of hearts, you're not a very generous person. You start to realize this. The Spirit of God starts to reveal this to you. So sure, you should buy a book on generosity. You should learn some stuff. Sure, you should go through Dave Ramsey's course on how to manage your money and get some best practices. But what the Scripture is teaching us is that in every place where you have a weakness revealed, you need to look again at the gospel. So you apply the gospel to your lack of generosity by looking again to Jesus, who was sitting at the right hand of God, enthroned in majesty, he made himself nothing, he became a servant so that he could generously show you the love of God. Jesus freely gave of his life, freely gave of his time, freely gave of his resources so that you and I could have his inheritance, his sonship, his life in our place so that we could be saved. The generosity of Christ in the gospel is staggering. And that should motivate us to want to be generous. Look again at the original good work. And that's what motivates you to continue the good work. That's what the Holy Spirit uses to move you forward in the work. Look at how the work began, and that will be how you transform. By repenting again, believing again, trusting again. That's the process that this is teaching us. So you have a scenario in your life where you don't want to forgive someone. You feel like I've been betrayed, you've been hurt, you've been abused, you've been abandoned, whatever has happened to you. As tragic as it may be, yes, go to counseling. Yes, talk it out with your village. Yes, read books. Yes, get as much help as you can to be healed in every way possible. But most importantly, look again at the gospel. Because in Jesus, you have someone who was abandoned, betrayed, abused, and hurt. And he experienced the worst of it, yet he endured it and he forgave And he was free in that forgiveness. And so you believe him and you trust him when he calls you a new creation. 
And you can get through what you're going through because he accomplished something for you in the gospel that you remember and that you've internalized. And this is the message that can never be exhausted. So let's, let's take a moment and think through this lens and apply it to our cultural context, to our cultural moments. There is a global conversation happening right now about race and about police reform and about systems that are broken And there are many justified accusations against the church and how the church has been silent on these issues and how the church hasn't helped this issue, but it's hurt the issue. And listen, it's uncomfortable for us to talk about that. It's nuanced in many ways. And many of us are learning and we're listening and we're wanting to figure out how the best way to move forward is. Because listen, a a weakness has been revealed. So we read We listen, we watch documentaries, maybe we post online, we learn some more. Maybe there's an opportunity to peacefully protest and we use our voice. Yes, 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 yes. But most importantly, look again to the gospel. There may be claims that the church has been silent, but I assure you, Jesus is not silent on this this issue. Paul was not silent, just, just for fun. One of the most, one of the first high profile fights in the early church was between the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter because Peter was showing favoritism to a different race of people. He was essentially being racist, excluding the Gentiles. And Paul says, I confronted him to his face. Galatians chapter 2 says this. It says, when Peter came to Antioch, this is Paul writing, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Strong words. For before certain men came from James, that's Jesus' little brother, Jewish guys, Paul says, Peter used to eat with the Gentiles, but when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, and then you guys can go read the rest of what he says, but this is what Paul The Holy Spirit is teaching through Paul is this. Racism is hypocrisy. It leads others to be led astray. Why? Verse 14. Because racism is not acting in line with the truth of the gospel. And Paul says, when you don't act in line with the truth of the gospel, I opposed him to his face and he stood condemned. God is not silent on this issue. And this is not us pandering to the, for what, you, what we hear on the news. This is reading Galatians 2 and saying this is God's voice on the matter. And it's not just there. Like just for a moment, look back at the church at Philippi. Who is Paul talking to when he writes this letter? Who's he picturing? The rich religious woman, the demon-possessed slave girl, the jailer. It is clear from day one that there is not one type of person that should be or has become a Christian. There's no type for becoming a Christian. Uh, maybe... Maybe someone said to you, like they've said to me, uh, Josh, I'm, not just, I'm just not the Christian type. That's not for me. Well, it's pretty clear in the scriptures that there's only one type of person in the world, and that's a sinner, and there's only one hope in the world for that person, and that is Jesus' death in their place. So the church at Philippi was vastly different. Different types of people, different races, walking in unity. The Bible calls it partnership. Since Lydia was baptized, we have a gospel partnerships. So there are people who, if it weren't for Christ, you would have nothing in common with them in Philippi. And listen to me, church, that's the beauty of the gospel. 
that if I have Christ in common with you, then I have all things in common with you. It's an identity that supersedes all identities. It's profound and it's powerful and it doesn't take away our races. It just shows the glory and the beauty of the God who has redeemed all the races. It's, it's profound. And so listen, I know we're a work in progress. That's what the text is telling us, but let's talk for a second. If you are a Christian and you have a problem in your heart with someone who looks different than you, talks different than you, makes more money than you, a different political party than you, then you do not have a superiority problem, a classism problem, a sexism problem, a tribalism problem, or a racism problem. You have a gospel problem. You are living in a way that does not act in accordance with the gospel. And if you're a Christian, you also have a memory problem because you have forgot that you did not look like Jesus. And you were actively operating as Jesus' enemy. You were fighting on the other team and had been spiritually killed by the wages of sin. And the Lord Jesus did not come to the earth with a checklist saying, Good news, I'm looking for a certain type of person. You have to be this race. You have to be this kind of, uh, you have to make this kind of money. You have to have these kind of policies. No, Jesus came to the world and said, I proclaim freedom to the captive. I proclaim sight to the blind. I offer healing for the sick. I have justice for the poor. He, he said to the world, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And if anybody comes to the Father, they come only through me. He says, I'm the bread of life. If you're hungry, come to me and eat. I'm, I'm the living water. If you're thirsty, come to me and drink. I'm the narrow gate. Come to me and have eternal life. I'm the good shepherd. My sheep hear my voice. They follow me and I protect them. He came to the world for people he created in his own image. In Genesis 1, it says that humans were set apart from all creation, made in his image. In Psalm 139, it says that every human that has been made was knit together in their mother's womb by God. The Bible even says that the hair on our head is numbered. Psalm 56 says that God bottles our tears and records them. That's not just some people's tears. That's just not some people that were created by God. Everyone who has been made was made by God in his image, beautiful and unique and glorious and equal, but also equally sinful, equally needy, equally broken, and equally hopeless without Christ. And so Jesus came to the world and he made one offer. He didn't say, I'm going to negotiate with you. He didn't say, I'll, I'll trade you this if you give me that. He said, there's one thing I offer. I will give my life for your complete surrender. My life exchange for yours, my blood for yours, my res resurrection for yours. And that didn't just justify you, that sanctifies you. And that will ultimately glorify you. So saying the gospel is the beginning and the middle of, end of Christianity is saying that repentance and belief is the beginning and the middle and the end of Christianity. And so whatever you're going through, whether it's a generosity problem, whether it's a forgiveness problem, whether it's... Uh, a gossip problem, whether it's a lust problem, whether it's a race problem. All of those things are gospel problems. And the way that you're transformed is by going back to the beginning and seeing what has been done for you. The problem with so many Christians and so many of us, we, we treat conversion like a flu shot. We think, oh, I got that once, I'm fine. When we, we fail to understand that the Christian life is, is a life of continual repentance, ongoing repentance with the banner over our lives saying, God is not done with me yet. And so if a weakness in my life comes out that doesn't look like Jesus, 
I don't hide that weakness. I don't, I don't modify my behavior to look better about that weakness. No, I drag that weakness in front of the gospel. And I learn from Jesus, who is perfect in every way. And from that, I can find in me a desire to repent, a desire to believe, and ultimately the Holy Spirit can transform me. And so Paul frames all of this in Philippians 1 through 6. And he says something at the end of the verse. He says, you can be confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will complete it when? In the day of Christ Jesus. And so Paul says something that for the first, the New Testament Christians was good news. He says, Christ is coming again. He's coming again. And that should create in us fear, that should create in us urgency, and that should also create in us great expectation that one day he will come again. And in the meantime, between the work that was started and the work that will be finished, in the meantime, don't you dare get comfortable with your sin. Don't you dare say, no, God, you're done with me. I'm, I have nothing else to change. I have nothing else to become. Anytime a weakness is brought out in you, you drag it before the gospel and you repent and you believe again. So not only don't get comfortable in your sin, don't get comfortable with your relationship with Jesus. Always want more, want to know him more, want to, want to repent more, want to become like him more. That's the story. It's not enough just to be saved. We should long to be sustained by the gospel. We should long to be transformed by the gospel. We should long to be brought into the image of Christ, which is what the Holy Spirit is trying to get us to do. And so I, I love you enough to ask you, church, what, what sins are you comfortable with? What weaknesses do you have that you need to drag before the gospel? What are the places in your life where you need to repent again, believe again, so that we can look back at the gospel again and be transformed again? What are those things? Can we talk about those honestly? Can we confess those honestly? That's what the power of the gospel does in us. And the more we grow in this, the more we can partner with one another, the more we can partner in the world and the more we can push this mission forward. Because when this works, it creates something beautiful in us and we can partner together in a profound way. I wanna show you a story of how partnership has worked in our church. You guys check out Abby Rommel telling us what God's done in her life and in her partnership. When I think about my experiences of partnering with God and saying yes to what he has for my life, it has always been what I never would have planned for my own life, but it has always brought so much more joy than I could have ever anticipated. I decided to follow Jesus in 2015 when I was a student at WSU. I met a girl named Tannis on campus who just cared about the fact that I didn't know Jesus and wanted me to know who he truly was. Soon after deciding to follow Jesus, I moved to Cheney, Washington, where we were planting a church at Eastern. And during my time there, I learned a lot about how to and how not to be a leader. During my time at Eastern, I met a girl named Alyssa, who became a really dear friend of mine. Um, as we walked alongside Jesus together, we got to experience his mission. And I just got to watch the Lord captivate Alyssa's heart and really teach her what it looks like um, to be obedient to him and to follow him wherever he would ask her to go. And it is my joy to get to commission Alyssa as she goes to Ashland, Oregon this following year. Um, we planted a church in Pocatello from Eastern, and when we were first processing that, I literally told Juan that I did not want to go there. But as I was praying and just thinking about my life, I started to realize that God was going to do something in Pocatello regardless if I moved there or not, and I didn't want to miss out on watching my father do something new in a city that I had never been to. And so I moved to Pocatello, and in a similar way, God allowed me to meet my friend Aurora, who 
Um, just got to watch God captivate her heart and use her in the mission in a way that she never had before, even though it is messy and hard and scary to make disciples. I got to watch Aurora say yes um, over and over again, and she will be moving to Vancouver, BC um, in this next year to help with our newest church plant. So the reason I share these is because I thank God every time I think about these women, and I thank God every time I think about all the friends that I have had to say goodbye to. It is because Tannis and Aurora and Alyssa and all these other people I've come in contact with said yes to the mission of God that people in Eugene and Pocatello and Ashland and Vancouver and wherever else we go get to hear the gospel and that is the greatest joy we could ever have. So I thank God every time I think of you. Um, I thank God every time I think of our church and I thank God that we get to live on this mission together. Uh, similar to Paul in his letter to the Philippians, nothing brings me more joy than hearing stories of how people's lives have been transformed and how that's led to partnership in the gospel, which has ultimately led to missionaries being sent out. What happened in the story of Philippi is happening in the church at Resonate, and it's beautiful and it's fun. And I think when we live into this, when the gospel doesn't just save us, it also sustains us and transforms us and sanctifies us. When we live into that, we have a beautiful opportunity to be a witness in this world, to be prophets in this world, to be a prophetic witness to the world that says it's in the church where you see the thing that you most long for. And I think this moment we're in as a culture, uh, it's pretty clear that there are a lot of things that need justice. There are a lot of things that need peace. And we know the peacemaker. We know the God of justice. And so we want to be a church that prays for our world. We want to be a church that engages the world in a way that shows them the great hope who is Jesus. Because I don't think any of us would argue this world desperately needs Jesus. So we're going to go into a time where the worship band is going to sing over us. And my hope is that it propels us to repent of our own issues and our own sins and also moves us to have hope for the world that we might be a witness to the world and show them who Jesus is and how desperately they need him and how glorious he is to save. Thank you for listening to the Resonate Church Sermon Podcast. If you are a college student in the Northwest or if you simply want to see college students come to know Jesus, please connect with us by visiting Resonate.net.